0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Photation's Life to Tape. This is a podcast dedicated to classic stories and historical literature from around the world. These episodes will be the audio version of our visual audio series. To view our visual audiobooks, please visit our YouTube channel, Live to Tape, or you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash live to tape. Feel free to visit our website, Photations.com and view the landscape, aerial, and time-lapse photography there. This podcast is presented ad-free, however, we rely on support from our listeners to create this podcast and our extensive artwork collection. Expenses like media hosting, media storage, editing software, and hardware like computers, audio, and photography equipment runs into the thousands. Any donation amount helps, no matter how small or large, is greatly appreciated, Visit slash donations for more information or email donations at Fine art photography is also available for purchase at photationsstore.com. Prints are made to order and available in large and small formats, including canvas, metallic prints, as well as traditional high end photographic paper in standard sizes. Photations and this podcast can also be supported. Through the podcasting 2.0 method using a podcasting 2.0 application like Sphinx Chat or Podverse, you can stream satoshis, which is one millionth of a bitcoin, as you listen to the podcast. You only donate as you listen to the episode, and the amount you set per minute is completely up to you. At this time, 1844 satoshis is about one dollar, and you can choose to stream one satoshi a minute or a hundred, or even two thousand, is completely up to you. Another way to support this show is through word of mouth. Feel free to tell your friends or family about Photations Live to Tape. Feel free to share on social media and support by following the Twitter at Photations for photographic content, and at Live to Tape for our visual audiobooks and podcast announcements. Thanks for choosing to listen to Photations Live to Tape. Let's begin this audio book. Chapter 18 Met on the Trail Pam's face was so long when she came out of the house in response to a summons from Don that he took to rallying her on her evident depression as they drove back to Ripple. It looks as if you and Galena had been having a little difference of opinion and that you had come off second best. Why didn't you shout for me? It would have given me all the pleasure in life to have quashed her flat. But it would not have mended matters at all, said Pam, with an impatient sigh. I wanted Galena to be willing to take Reggie Furness back to work there when he is well enough. But she has got such an impossible attitude with regard to wrongdoers. Because if a person has once done the thing which is not square, she must never trust that person again. She knows she is not perfect herself, "'and yet expects perfection in everyone else. "'That is the stand most folks take,' he answered with a sort laugh. "'Self-blindness, I call it, and as a rule, "'the more they shout about the weakness of other people, "'the more disposed they are to have the same infirmity themselves. "'But Glenna is a good sort at the bottom, "'and she will very likely turn things over in her mind a bit "'when she has had a little time.' I guess Nathan is more than a little cross with me. He wanted his supper about as much as it is possible for a man to want anything, and I kept him out in the barn, asking him questions about every imaginable thing, from moose-calling to the best and quickest way of plucking chickens. I helped him feed his horses, though, and he said he hated that business worse than anything he had to do all day. He said it made him real bad, to see the creatures stuffing their noses in the food and having such a good time, while well, he felt like sinking into his boots with hunger. Then I reminded him that he would soon have the boy back to get supper ready for his horses, so he cheered up a bit, although he did mention that Glenna might have something to say on the subject. Oh, it was good for you to put in a word for Reggie like that. If Nathan feels he wants the boy back so badly, Glenna might have to give way. There was a catch in Pam's voice, for she was feeling this affair very keenly. Reggie was having to suffer for his vindication of her grandfather, so it became very much of a personal matter to her. The colt was spanking along at a fine pace. The trail was very good at this part, and Don's high-wheeled cart went bumping and swaying along under the shade of birch and the hammocks, while the level rays of the setting sun lay in bars of gold across the heavy green foliage. In another ten or fifteen minutes, they would be at ripple, and Don's golden evening would be over. It was not wonderful that he wanted to make the most of it while it lasted. "'I'm a bit jealous of that boy, Reggie. You seem to have no time to think of anyone else,' he ventured, greatly daring, and Pam turned to him with a look of astonishment. "'What else could we do but think of him, seeing how ill he has been?' She demanded, then added with a laugh, "Besides, he is not the sort to remain in the background at any time. He has been teaching me all sorts of things about the wildlife of the forest and telling me about raccoons, minks, and beavers. He told me that there is a beaver meadow about seven miles across the forest from here, and he is going to take me to see it some day when he is stronger. I will drive you over. It is too far for you to walk, and the trail is rough." Said Don. Then, finding his golden minutes fleeting faster than ever, he burst out in an impulsive speech. I have loved you ever since that night you had stopped me on the trail to ask the way to Ripple, and there isn't a thing I would not do to please you, if you would let me. Pam looked keenly distressed. Oh, please don't, she said, clasping her hands tightly and feeling that she would love to run away. But Don, having once started, was not to be easily stopped. "'Why shouldn't I tell you that I care for you "'more than anyone else in the world?' he demanded. "'I am not so clever as you by a long way, "'and you always make me feel that I am "'the very clumsiest of animal that ever wore shoe leather. "'But mother says that it is very good for me, "'and she told me tonight that she owes a deep debt "'of gratitude to the little girl at Ripple "'for smarting up her son. "'Can't you care for me at all, Pam?' "'Pam went very white.' What possessed this infatuated young man to talk to her of love, when for aught she knew there might be shame in front of her far greater than any she had to bear as yet? It was fairly plain that her grandfather had been no hand in herding of Buckle, but it was quite possible he was involved in something else which would not bear the light of day, seeing that he must have fled from his home to avoid meeting the surprise party." It is not a time to think of oneself, she said with a chilly tone, which was all colder because of the wave of self-pity that had suddenly filled her heart. It did not seem hard that her life should be clouded by this mystery, and just at the time when things might have been really delightful, we never know what is going to happen next, or whether Grandfather will come home. That seems to me all the more reason why you should have someone with a right to stand by you, said Don, whose face was setting into stern lines of determination. You have Jack here now, it is true, but he is only a boy, and I want the right to stand by you. She shook her head. Speech was so difficult just now, and oh, she could have cried because her golden evening was spoiled, but in her way she was resolute as Don, and she was determined that she would avoid anything that might bring more suffering later on. It is very nice of you to want to shelter me, she said gently, but I don't need it. I mean, I am quite able to stand up under things without help. I could not let you care for me. I mean, go on caring for me, when perhaps there is heavy disgrace to come on us in near future. Of course, we know now that Grandfather did not hurt Sam Buckle, but we do not understand why he had to leave his home. We know he did not die in the forest because most baguette knew a man who had seen him and talked to him. This was all easy of understanding while we thought he had gone away because of what happened to his neighbor. Now it is maddening mystery and I can't begin to think of myself or to plan for being happy in my own way. I have to do my very best to keep the farm going so that it shall pay and so that there may be a little money for grandfather if he comes home. I came to New Brunswick hoping to make a place for my mother and younger children, but my work seems to go in the direction of helping Grandfather all I can, even though I have never seen him. Pam was talking now for talking's sake. She wanted to stave off all things which she instinctively felt Don wanted to say to her. She was stifling back to a very real heartache. They had been such friends and such real chums, and it was hard to feel that she must give up what she had had, just because circumstances would not let her give more. But she did not know Don quite as well as she thought she did. He received all she had said in very noncommittal silence, and then when the house at Ripple was reached, he said quietly, I can wait. You have not said that you did not care for me, or that there is anyone else, and nothing else matters. No, I won't come in tonight, thank you. It is getting late. I shall come over again and take you out, when there is time, and things will be just as they were. Would they? Pam greatly doubted it. She would always be self-conscious now, when she was with Don. The old camaraderie ship would have disappeared, and she would feel it necessary to stand on guard always. It was quite early next morning, when Galena Gittins drove up to the house in a smart little wagon that she had brought for herself from her own earnings. I thought I would just come over and see for myself if that pickle of a boy is getting better. She explained a little awkwardly. Nathan was saying last night that if he could not have Reggie back, Nathan was saying last night that if he had not Reggie back, he would have a hired man in the house for the summer. But I tell him we cannot get men these days, and so we have to be thankful to have boys. Nathan ought to have married years ago then maybe he would not be dependent on outside labor now. Sophie laughed quietly, for she led Galena across the big sitting room to the end bedroom where Reggie lay. Rumor said that back in those far-off years when he was a young man, Nathan Grittons had wanted to get married, but gave up the idea because of the objection of Galena. But then rumor is not much to be trusted, so perhaps Nathan had not been very keen upon matrimony. Reggie looked up, flushed Scarlet, when Galena entered the room, but she walked across the floor with her usual brisk tread, saying in the matter-of-fact tone, "'Getting better, are you? Well, the sooner you are fit to work, the better we shall all like it. A rotten time we are having at our place, and Nathan is about worn out with all the things he has had to do at night when it comes in from the field.' Reggie stared "'at her with unbelievable joy in his eyes. "'Do you mean I can come back to work "'that it's same as if nothing happened? "'I mean the same as if I had not told?' "'He asked in a tone that quavered suspiciously. Galena snorted and tossed her head "'with an air of fine scorn. "'I haven't much patience for two-faced folk myself, "'but this time, at least, it has turned out all right, "'since you can't clear Werak Prevel "'from such a low-down charge as that brought against him.' The pity is that you did not do it before, but the wisest of us makes mistakes sometimes. Reggie murmured an incoherent something, then lay staring at Glenna with shining eyes while she talked to Sophie about the wedding that was to be very soon. Then Pam came in from the barn where she had been helping Jack with the morning chores, and very soon afterward, Miss Kittens went away, declaring that she would not stay another minute. But when she bade goodbye, she told Reggie that she was going to ask the doctor how soon he could be moved, as it would be a comfort to have him in the place, even if he could do nothing better than to lie on the settle in the kitchen and tell her when the saucepans boiled. A week later, he was gone, and the house dropped back into its condition of normal quiet. Pam and Jack only came into the house to eat and sleep While Sophie worked industriously at her wedding gown, she had decided that she would rather make it at Ripple than at her own home, where there were so many interruptions. Every day she approached her task with the reverent awe of a priestess performing a religious ceremony, and Pam had a quiet chuckle to herself over the happiness Sophie got from work that is mostly left to outsiders. One baking hot morning in early June, the cows was missing, the creature had apparently pushed down a weak portion of the fence and had gone for a stroll on her own account. There was, in consequence, no milk for breakfast. Corn, porridge, and molasses is not bad fare, but coffee without milk is horrid. So many horrid things were said about the cow while they had breakfast. In an ordinary way, there would have been the milk of the previous night to fall back upon, but it was so chanced that the storekeeper from the corner had been collecting all the evening milk of the district for the last few weeks because he had bought a separator and was making butter for his customers. I will take the dog and go find the cow, said Pam. I was going to hoe potatoes in the field by the creek, but those weeds will have to get a little bigger before they are hoed up. I don't believe I am sorry either, for I would much rather tramp about The forest then hoped potatoes today. Isn't the weather just gorgeous? I wish, oh, I wish that the boys and Muriel were here to enjoy it. People told her that June was not often as hot as this and that the weather would probably break in a thunderstorm soon, and then it would get colder. You will have to go because I can't. Jack spoke with his mouth full, for he was bolting his breakfast in a great hurry, having lost time in hunting for the cow, I promised Nathan that I would be at his place in good time. We are going to start haymaking today, and now we shall have to hustle for all we are worth. Pam started on her quest directly breakfast was over. It was really stupid of the cow to break bounds in this fashion, because if the creature wandered very far, the night's milk would not be so good, and Pam was rapidly developing the farmer's instinct, which is dead against waste of this sort. She went through the break in the fence made by the cow and followed the trail of the animal through the long grass so far as it showed. When she could no longer see it, she had to trust to the common sense of direction. The cow was out for charge of diet rather than for any desire to run away, so most likely it would wander straight along the nearest trail, which was the narrow one that led out to the old tote road. Pam had not been there for some time work having called her in other directions. Farmers in that part of the world do not often take walk for the sake of trolling a stroll in the middle of summer, time being so precious. The dog paced soberly along at her heels, and she wondered if the creature had any recollection of the happening of last fall when it had encountered the lynx at the ruined house. Her way this morning led past the ruin for as she turned into the old tote road, she saw far away in the distance something which looked like a cow. The creature was so far away that it was of no use to send the dog in pursuit. Yet so she went on, ankle-deep in grass and flowers, while the morning seemed to glow hotter and hotter. She halted at the door of the ruined house, trying to get the courage enough to enter. Apparently the door had not been touched since most baguette had tried it up to keep the lynx from returning to their lair. Pam had a vivid remembrance of the bit of yellow pocket handkerchief that she had used for the purpose, and there it was still tied to the door. The place had a bad name. Luke Dobson told her that he himself had once been scared nearly out of his senses by seeing a gray shape flint along the tote road in front of him one night when he was belated in that part of the forest, and it had disappeared in or near the ruins. Pam had laughed then. It was so easy to laugh when one is hearing of an experience of such a kind secondhand. Now she was shivering in remembrance, and she did not wonder that even a solid, unimaginable man like Mr. Dobson had been frightened. Oh, but it is all nonsense to be scared. I will go open the door and have a look inside, she whispered to herself. She was noticing that the shell of the house still appeared sound and good and she was thinking that the place might be used as a dwelling again if only someone could be found brave enough to live there she forced her unwilling feet to close the door laid her hand on the rag which mose had fashioned to the door frame then stood still for a moment to overcome a fierce trembling which had seized her a crash sounded overhead followed by a large crackling roll of thunder at the same moment, the dog flung up its head, uttering a most dreadful howl. With a sharp cry of fear, Pam darted out to the middle of the wide green road and stood shaking and shivering, for she was dreadfully afraid of thunder. Of choice, she would rather have turned and fled back to Ripple as fast as she could go. But there was the cow. She had found it, and for a very shame, she could not go back and say that she had run home because she was afraid. The sun was shining still, And from where she stood, she could not see the storm coming up against the wind. The wonder seized her at whether the crash of thunder had been sent to warn her from trying to enter the haunted ruin. Then she laughed aloud at her own folly in thinking such a thing, and set forward in pursuit of the cow once more. But she did not look back, and she was debating in her mind if there was not a cross trail that would take her back to Ripple without her having to come past the ruin. The cow saw her coming and moved gently on ahead. "'as if to prolong the morning stroll as far as possible. "'Tiresome thing,' cried Pam, who was shaken by her experience. "'Then she quickened her pace, "'for the cow had turned out of the straight, wide, narrow road "'into a narrow avenue of mighty beech trees. "'The sun was certainly clouding over, "'and the heat grew even more suffocating. "'She had left the great open space "'where the black spruce had been lumbering last winter.' and had plunged into a dense forest of mighty beech trees. Here and there were dead trees and plentiful windfalls, that is, broken branches stripped off by the tempest and its fury. Another crash louder than before. A queer sensation of being stunned came to Pam, and she leaned against the tree to recover her breath. How dark it had grown, the cow was out of sight, and the dog crouched at her feet, whimpering as if frightened also. Then came a quick darting flash and a crackling, "'Riving the noise followed by a peal of thunder "'so mighty and overwhelming "'that Pam shrieked aloud in her terror "'and yet could not hear her own voice. "'Such a dead silence followed that "'that her ears had fairly ached. "'A big tree towering above its fellows "'had been riven from summit to base by lightning, "'and to her terror and dismay "'she saw little crackling flames "'and a thin haze of smoke creeping about its foot. "'The forest was on fire,' She could smell the burning. Everything she had heard of, read of forest fires came back to her now. And she turned to flee. She had taken half a dozen flying steps backwards to the comparative safety of the old tote road when she remembered that Don had said to her one day that the effect that there would not be half so many fires in the forest if people who saw them start were there to take the trouble to beat them out. Could she do it? Would she dare go back to the burning tree she was running with the wind, and if the fire grew as sometimes forest fires did grow, then soon the flames would overtake her, and her life would be forfeited. Better face the danger now and stop it if stopping it was possible. A moment she halted and then fled back by way she had come, just as a loud peal of thunder crashed above her head. The smoke was binding it was last year's dead leaves that were burning for the beech leaves only fell as the new growth pushed them up, except where they had exposed to the fury of the wind. She had a stick in her hand, and although she was nearly blinded by the smoke, she dashed into the circle of burning leaves and began beating out the fire. At her first efforts, seeming only to make things worse, instead of extinguishing the fire, she flickered the sparks here and there and started other fires, but she grew wiser and she went on, and did her beating in sirate fashion. The smoke was certainly growing less. She was gaining on the fire, and she was all ready to shout with triumph, when suddenly, without any warning, a blazing branch fell on the ground in front of her, so close that it was nothing short of marvelous. It had not come right on her head. Looking up, she saw that the flames had been creeping up the side of the tree, farthest away from where she had been working, and finding a rotten branch as inflammable as tinder, had burst into active conflagulation far above her reach. Oh, the horror of it! Pam's courage shaken by the thunder and the fierce effort she had made to stop the outbreak gave way altogether. Now and again she fled. The dot had disappeared long ago. She had seen nothing of the cow since the fire began, and she was alone with this great terror. Never in all her life had in solitude frightened her so much. The fire on the ground had been all beaten out, but for the blazing branch above her head. The danger would be nearly all over by now. There was another crash. Pam gave a sideways leap just in time to avoid another decayed branch that came crashing to the ground, throwing out showers of sparks and starting another fire of dead leaves where it fell. She could now hear the flames crackling above her, and she was suddenly realized her own danger, for it was blazing branch fell upon her, must burst into death with no one to help her. She fled then, not back to the old tote road, for the blazing tree was between her and the trail which led that way, but straight ahead, by a trail she did not know. To her, nothing mattered just then, but to get as far away as possible from the burning tree. The trail she took was a cross trail, and five minutes later she emerged onto a wider one. Glancing distractedly right to left, she saw to herself intense relief, a man coming toward her. He was a stranger. The first glance showed her that, But he looked so much at home on the forest trail that she made up her mind he was of the wilderness place. The forest fire has started. Can you help? she shouted as she came nearer to him. He looked at her and broke into a run. No need to tell a forest dweller to hurry when a fire has started. It is seconds that count when and few of them make all the difference between ruin and security. Where is it? he shouted. And there was something in his voice that brought instant comfort to Pam for she instinctively realized that here was a man who could grapple with the situation. This way she turned, and she was heading back the way she had come. She had forgotten the cow and lost sight of everything save the need of the moment. A blast of hot air struck her as she neared the tree, but a moment later she saw to her great joy that the fire was still confirmed to one tree that had been struck by lightning. The foliage of the forest was at present so green intended that it would not readily flame. Scorched and blackened it might be, but it would have to be drier before it would burn easily. The danger lay in the bits of blazing branches that were falling from the stricken tree. There were large amounts of dead wood clumbered up the living branches, and it was these that were blazing so furiously. The man she had met overtook Pam. By the time she came sight of the tree, he rapidly summed up the situation, for he plainly understood all about it. Beech tree struck by lightning, dead wood ablaze, chief danger of spreading lies in the burning fragments that are dropping from the tree. We shall have to beat the fires out as they start. You have a stick, come along. As he spoke, the man sprang forward, and using the stout walking stick he carried, started to beat out the flame of a particularly vigorous little fire that had started in great masses of dried bracken. What a difference between the wrong way and the right, watched Pam, "'Fascinated by the way he was doing it, "'and quite unconsciously that a very active blaze "'had started within a few paces of her on the other side. "'Look out,' called the man sharply. "'You will be on fire yourself in another moment.' "'Oh,' Pam started forward with commencing, "'hitting wildly and raising showers of sparks. "'Panic had seized her. "'Fire was such a horrible thing, "'and she was almost at the end of her self-control. "'Slower, slower. "'Don't be in such a hurry,' called the man.' And then he left his own fire and came over to where Pam was trying to beat the fire so that it would go out. Knock the other stuff down on top of what is blazing. That smothers it out, don't you see? Be careful, shrieked Pam, looking up just in time to see a great fragment of blazing wood that was coming straight down on the man. Then, because he did not look up to spring himself away, she rushed at him, pushing himself with so much vigor and unable to save himself he was bowled over like a ninepin. Just as he measured his length on the ground, the branch, blazing furiously, struck him on the boot and rolled harmlessly to one side. "'Thank you,' he said, and picked himself up, and again started on smothering the fire. There is an old proverb amongst the Micmacs to the effect that "'He who fights fire wants eyes all over him. I should have been in a sorry case if you had not come to my help just then. It is horrible.' "'Horrible! Shall we ever be able to stop it?' Pam was very near despair, for it seemed to her that for every fire they beat out, three more started. Her arms were aching so badly that she could hardly lift her stick, but she struck to it because the man who was helping her kept shouting to her to come on and worked with amazing vigor himself, which was tremendously infectious. He paused a moment to look at the tree that was blazing far above their heads, then he gave a glance at the sky and dashed to one side and beat out a fresh fire, came back to help Pam with one she was beating out, and said encouragingly, We shall do it, I fancy. The rain will begin inside ten minutes, and if it comes down accordingly, to promise, the fire will be out in another ten minutes. We shall be as wet as if we had been waiting, but you will have saved quite a big forest fire. I cried Pam in astonishment, Why, I could not keep it back. "'That is why I ran away. "'I was running away when I met you on the trail, didn't you know? "'I guess that was what you were doing, a small blame to you, "'for you might easily have lost your life, and no one any the wiser, "'but when there are two, the danger is so much less, "'because one can help the other, as you did me when you bowed me over.' "'It was dreadful of me, but there was no other way,' said Pam, "'and she cried out in dismay, for the rain was suddenly flung upon the forest,' coming down with such force and violence that her breath was nearly taken away, and she could only lean against the tree and gasp. Our work is done, said the stranger, who seemed in no way disturbed by the downpour, and as there was nothing more to do, we might as well be moving. Can you direct me to the house of Mrs. Sam Buckle? I am not sure, but I think so. I don't think I have been in this part before, but I have general idea as to where the trail leads, and I think I can guide you, said Pam who was wondering more than ever who the stranger could be. Chapter 19. The Stranger's Errand I could not think of letting you guide me anywhere in this downpour, said this stranger, who had drawn Pam away from the fine tree against which she had been leaning, telling her that it was not safe to shelter under a tree, especially a beech tree, until the storm was over. If you will tell me which way to go, I dare say that I can manage." Or, if it is a very complicated, perhaps you will let me go with you to the nearest shelter. This rain is going to keep on for a few hours, which will be a good thing for the farmers, but not worth while to keep more of it off the ground than we can help. If I am right as to where we go, Mrs. Buckle's house is the nearest place where we can shelter, and if I am not to lean against a tree, we might as well be going forward for I don't feel as if I can breathe with all this water dropping on my face. Pam was gasping and choking as she turned into the trail, which she thought led to Mrs. Buckle's house, and as she felt as if it would be a physical impossibility to reach shelter of any sort unless she could get a breath more easily. She thought of the ruined house on the old tote road, but decided that she would rather be out in the rain than forced into a shelter there. Then, too, it was no farther to the house of Mrs. Buckle, in one direction than that it would be to go back to the place of ill repute. Keep your head down, then you will be able to breathe easier, called out the stranger from the rear, and Pam decided that he was very understanding sort, and well versed in forest lore likewise. So her curiosity grew and grew as she plodded along through the pouring rain as wet as though it had been sitting in the creek. A turn in the trail and she saw the angle of a little brown house She had made no mistake, but had brought the stranger straight as the crow flies to the house he was seeking. They emerged from the forest and were crossing the field when the door was flung open, and to her surprise, Pam saw Jack on the threshold, peering at her and her companion, as if he failed to recognize her. Just one nice little shower, isn't it? She called out, trying to make her voice sound as cheerful as possible, although she was feeling pretty bad by this time. Pam, is it you? "'Why, you are nearly drowned. "'What has happened to bring you out in such a downpour?' demanded Jack, "'darting out to help her along those last few steps. "'I went out to find the cow,' she explained. "'Then, reaching the door, paused at the threshold, "'for the house was clean, "'and she could not bear to enter in such condition. "'At the moment Mrs. Buckle came upon the scene "'and bursting into a torrent of exclamation and questions, "'dragged Pam indoors to find dry clothes.' Then she made Jack take a stranger away to the barn to change into a suit of her late husband's. She talked all the time at her very fast rate and gave Pam no chance at all of explaining how she came to be in such a play. The rain stopped almost as suddenly as it began. The clouds were breaking and the sun was coming out when Pam emerged from Mrs. Buckles' bedroom wearing an old washing frock of her hostess, which was much too short and much too broad for her. But it was at this moment that Jack came hurrying in from the bar and crying excitedly. I say, Pam, why didn't you say that it was Sophie's policeman that you had in tow? My word, isn't he a fine chap? Won't she be pleased to see him too? Is that Mr. Lester? cried Pam in amazement. Why, I never dreamed of such a thing. Besides, he wanted to see Mrs. Buckle. I suppose he can want to see whom he pleases, retorted Jack. Then, as the stranger came along, looking grotesque and floppy-clad, in the deceased Sam Bucket's best blacks, he was graced enough to burst into a stout of laughter, in which he was joined by Pam, who simply could not help her merriment. It is not fair that you should laugh at me, Mrs. Walsh, for your own things are not very good fit, said George Lester, and then he shook hands with her, telling her that he was glad to see her. But that he had guessed who she was when they were putting out the fire. Why did you not tell me? She said reproachfully. If you had had said who you were, we would have struggled on as far as Ripple instead of coming here. For of course Sophie wants to see you, but I had to see Mrs. Buckle, and it is business first, you know. He spoke in a quick, firm tone, and looking at him, Pam decided that certainly Sophie had made no mistake, and that there was a man of whom any girl might very reasonably feel proud Jack and I will go across the barn and wait while you do your business. Then we will guide you to Ripple. Sophie is staying there with us, you know. Pam spoke a little uncertainly, for after all, she did not know how much Mr. Lester might know of the movements of his betrothed. My business is rather public and private, at least, so far as you and your brother are concerned. You had better stay and hear about it. Then we will go to Ripple together. Sophie told me in her last letter that I should find her staying there. Mr. Lester then turned from Pam to speak to Mrs. Buckle, and Pam sat down on the nearest chair, feeling tremendously curious as to the errand that had brought George Lester to this house before he made any attempt to see Sophie, from whom he had been parted for a year. Amanda Higgins had gone home for the day to help her mother, so there was only Jack and Pam. With Mrs. Buckle, when George Lester began to state his errand. I think you used to know a man named Mose Brigett. He was looking at Mrs. Buckle as he spoke, and Pam felt a queer contraction in her heart as she told herself that Mose was dead. She was sure of it from the stranger's manner of speaking. Yes, I knew him, but I'm sorry to say he was not very well worth knowing, answered Mrs. Buckle. He was downright good to my poor husband when he was dying, but the fellow played me rather a dirty trick afterwards and going off and leaving me in the lurch, just at seating time. I can't think how I would have got through it if it had not been for Mrs. Walsh and her brother. The way most treated that poor little half-brother of his was shameful too, so I'm not to say very proud of his acquaintance. The man is dead, Jerry Loster spoke in a quiet tone, but his voice sounded loud in the ears of Pam, who had difficulty in suppressing a sigh, She was thinking of all the tragedy that lay behind the wasted days of Moe's Baguette and Galena's spoiled life, for spoiled it had been to a certain extent. Mrs. Buckle threw up her hands in surprise. "'Dead is he? Well, the world isn't much the poorer anyhow. Not but what he had his good streaks. But there, a man would be bad indeed if there was not some good in him. "'Did you know that he had a quarrel with your husband?' asked George Lester." who had opened a bulky book that was busy sorting papers? Why well, I know. Sam never told me anything about it, replied Mrs. Buckle. Pam gave a sudden start as a wonderful possibility flashed her mind. She went rather white, too, and there was a sound of surging waters in her ears so that the voice of George Lester seemed to come from her from a great distance. Two nights before I left on for a borough, he was saying we had a word about us, of a shooting array at a saloon in the mining town at the bottom of Black Crow Pass. Things were pretty lively down there, as a rule, and we have to go fully armed. We have to use our weapons, too, for mostly that man is safest who is first in with the shooting irons. On this night, I went down with one other man, and we found that there had been a fight between two of the miners, and the one getting the most of it, had pulled out his revolver, shooting wildly. He did not hit the man with whom he had been fighting, but another man sitting in a far corner got the bullet in his chest. It was easy to see the poor fellow had been badly hit, and one of the boys started to ride for the doctor fifteen miles he would have to ride on a bad trail, and the rain was coming down at a pour. We made the injured man as comfortable as we could, but we could not do much, for it was a hopeless case from the first. I stayed with him, for I knew most of what was best to be done. I took the medical course before I joined the mounted police, and that is such a help at times like this. I told the man that if he had anything to say, he better out with it while he had the power to talk. Then he told me his name was Mose Baguette, that he came from the part of New Brunswick, and that there was something on his mind that must be told before he died. Ah, "'I thought it was strange that he should leave here in such a hurry. "'It was such a tempest story,' said Mrs. Buckle. "'George Lester nodded, then went on with his story, "'only now he was turning over these papers "'and sorting out some sheets covered closely with writing. "'The man told me he owed a strip of ground running by the side of land "'belonging to Sam Buckle, who had a creek frontage, "'but only a narrow strip about two hundred yards deep.' This bit of land had always been coveted by Mose, who felt that he could develop the land that was his own so much better if he could front the creek. Often and often he had asked Sam Buckle to put a price on it, but he could never get a satisfactory reply. Sam was just like that, sighed Mrs. Buckle, dropping a tear to her husband's memory while she shook her head in disapproval of his unneighborly ways. Again, George Lester nodded but he never took his eyes from the papers, and when Mrs. Buckle ceased speaking, he took up the thread of his narrative once more. It came to the ears of Mose forget that Sam Buckle intended planting his strip of frontage with black spruce. The young trees had been already bargained for and were to be planted before the frost came if the ground could be got ready. This was like a death knell to the hopes of Mose, and he determined to make one more effort to get Sam to put a price on the land. He had made up his mind that if he could get a hold of that piece of ground, he would leave off his lazy ways and work hard to retrieve the past. He would have a sawmill on the creek, and he knew that with the help of his young stepbrother, he would be able to make his venture pay in very quick time. He went in search of Sam Buckle directly. He heard the rumor and meant to have it out with him and to know for certain that he had to expect. When he got nearer to his house, he saw Sam leaving the door and going off across the field in the direction of Ripple, so without approaching the house, Moose started in pursuit, for he guessed that the other was going to a fence which had been a bone of contention between Sam Buckle and his neighbor for many years past. When he reached the place, he found Sam Buckle in a towering rage. It appeared that Sam had been working on putting up a fence on the previous day and that Rackbeville must have come at dawn and chopped it all down, and then gone away in such a hurry that he left his axe lying on the ground. most started on his grievance right away, asking Sam if he was neighborly kind or Christian to try and take the bread out of a man's mouth. Sam answered that he treated his neighbors as his neighbors, and their turn treated him. He then pointed to the demolished fence and to Rack's axe lying on the ground, and said that because of that last outrage from the old man at Ripple, he would do as he chose about planting his footage with black spruce. It was his right to do as he liked with his land, and no one should stop him. Then Mose seemed to go mad, and flying at Sam, the two fought only as madmen will. Of course, Sam got the worst of it. Mose was the younger man. He was, too, the man with the grievance, and that lent power to his arms. Well, his passion gave him double strength, but it was not until Sam dropped, apparently dead, at his feet, that he realized where his strength had led him. Then he was afraid and fled, for the curse of King was on him, and he believed that he had killed his fellow man. Oh, why did he not come for help straight away? We might have saved poor Sam if only help had been there in time. The doctor said so, wailed Mrs. Buckle, while Pam cried from sheer sympathy and Jack sat staring out through the open door, making the most horrible grimaces at the landscape, as if the peaceful scene in some way offended him. A good deal of misery would have been averted if only people would own up when they have done wrong, remarked George Lester. Then he went on again. It was not until quite late in the evening that Mose chanced to hear that Sam Buckle was still alive. He had been making up his mind to leave the neighborhood that night, for he felt that he was a murderer, and from henceforth he must be a wanderer. If Sam was alive, however, then there was hope for him still. But Sam Buckle died, and, as of course you know, he died saying nothing but the last words he had been on his lips before he and Mose fought. It was his right to do what he would with his own. Mose would have run away then, but he realized that Rack Prevel, having disappeared, it was the safest for him to stay where he was, old man's memory bore the blame if Rackpreville did not hurt my husband what made him go away demanded Miss Buckle that is what we want to know put in Pam brushing away her tears and looking at George as if she expected him to explain that mystery also ah there is more than I can tell you he replied but doubtless time which has cleared this mystery will clear that one also of course I was not able to know anything about it I had no acquaintance with the old man, but from what Sophia told me in her letters, I should incline to the belief that either he went away because he felt he did not dare stay where he was any longer, or else that something happened to him. But he has been seen, put in Pam in a jerky tone. She always hated to speak of this because of the circumstance seemed to write the old man down in a wrongdoer straight away. A man met him at a lumber camp in black country last winter, but Grandfather did not like being recognized. What man was it? asked George Lester quickly. It was plain he doubted the evidence, and Pam made haste to state her authority. It was a man named O'Brien, who used to work for Mr. Luke Dobson at Hunch Crossing years ago. He told Mosbeckhead of this meeting with Grandfather, and he spoke of it also to Dr. Grinson, but he said he had told no one else, because he was afraid of putting the police on the track of grandfather's whereabouts. If it was that O'Brien, Cassidy O'Brien, his full name was, then we shall never know more about it than we do now, for he too is dead, said George, referring again to the papers in his hand. You remember the night when someone entered the house at Ripple and took the money from the desk? Why, yes, I thought it was, I mean, I thought I had believed it might be grandfather come back for his own money to which, of course, he had been perfect right. Pam's tone always became defiant when she spoke of her grandfather's supposed return. How much she hated having to defend that coming back, no one but herself could know. She realized perfectly that it had been a dastardly thing to lure two unprotected girls from the shelter of a warm house on a night in midwinter, when the wolves were hunting in packs and there was no man worthy the name would have done it. But... For the sake of her mother, she would not alter her attitude, although it was impossible not to feel a little resentful about it all. It was not your grandfather who entered the house that night and forced open the desk where the money was kept, then walked off with all he could find. It was Mose Baguette, said George. Pam started up with a little cry of sheer amazement. For if Mose was the thief, how was it that the money had been found with the poor remains which the melting snow had revealed? "'at the time was sugary. "'How do you know?' she demanded, her heart beating furiously. "'Had she been misjudged to the poor old man all this time? "'How good would it be to feel she could respect him in her own private heart, "'and not have continually fight down her secret mistrust of him? "'It is here, in the confession,' replied George, "'giving a shuffle to the papers he was holding. "'But because they are mostly in shorthand, as I took the statement down,' and I have not had time to transcribe them. I have told my story instead of writing it. Cassidy O'Brien came back to this part of the world to hunt out Mose Paget, who owed him money. He threatened that if Mose did not pay up, he, O'Brien, would make known to the police a bit of the past of Mose that would not bear the light of day. The debt was not a big one, but it was more than Mose could pay. He had heard of Mrs. Buckle pressing Mrs. Walsh, to take the money to supply the wants of Rak if the old man should come creeping back to his home in want. He heard Miss Wash say that she intended to put the money away so that her grandfather would be sure to find it if he came when she was not about. It was in the opportunity that makes the thief, and because it was all made so plain for him, most determined to get the money from Ripple and clear his debt with it. He arranged to meet O'Brien at a certain place and to take the money to him. It was $50 he owed the man, but he was not sufficient to pay all. So he kept some of the cash for himself and gave the rest of the cash and the paper money to O'Brien, who vowed that he would go straight to the police and tell what he knew. Apparently, he must have started for the direction in which his remains were found, would seem to point to having tried to hit the trail to the police headquarters. Either he sat down and was frozen to death, or else he was chased by wolves, and died that way. This we shall never know. Mose was amazed to find that his old enemy made no sign, but when the bones were found in the forest, it seemed to him that if fate had been working for him, and henceforth he had nothing to fear, when Jack Walsh came out from England, and suddenly the blow of which Mose had stood in dread fell from a most unexpected quarter. He was coming into the house to see Mrs. Buckle, "'about some small matter connected with his work, "'when to his horror he saw Mrs. Buckle "'with Sam's watch in her hand. "'He had taken away Sam's watch "'and the money in the man's pocket "'after their fight, "'just to make it look like a case of robbery "'and violence. "'Then, when he had been so ill in St. John "'from the after-effect of mauling "'he got from the links, "'he had sold the watch to pay the doctor. "'My word!' cried Mrs. Buckle. "'He was a bad lot to rob the man.' He had knocked about so badly, he had got out of the street. And when once a man gets on this land, there is no saying what he will do," replied George, who was then went on to tell how Mose had worked his way out west, tackling backwards and forward in the going, in order to hide his trail. But the fugitive had no no rest and no peace, and had faced starvation and hardship until the last. He had come by his death wound in fray between two strangers when the bullet meant for another man found in his breast. It was indeed a sad and tragic story. There is one thing for which I shall be grateful to my dying day, said Mrs. Buckle, between her sobs, and that is that I never tempted to visit what I supposed Rackerville had done to my poor man on his granddaughter. She has always been a dear friend, and though sometimes I admit I felt a bit wicked about it all, I stuck to what my instincts told me, "'and that I am just more glad about it than I can say. "'You have been truly good to me and to Jack, too,' murmured Pam. "'Then the confession having come to an end, "'she declared that they must be going, "'for it was not fair to Sophie to keep Mr. Lester away any longer. "'I will come with you,' said Jack. "'When I got to Mrs. Gritton's place this morning, "'Nathan told me that he could not get the machine until tomorrow. "'So, of course, we could not start haymaking.' and as he did not need me, I came over to put in some time at Mrs. Buckle's hoeing corn. Then the rain came, and I bolted indoors for shelter, and that is how I happened to be loafing around, apparently doing nothing in the middle of the day. Pam laughed. It was rich to hear Jack trying to explain that he was more industrious than he looked, for those who knew anything about it all had no trouble in making up their minds. As to the hard work, though, He always seemed to think that he might do a bit more, if only he were a little more energetic. But it was not Jack or his doings that interested her most. Just then, she was turning over and over in her mind the problem of her grandfather's mysterious conduct. Now that the old man's name was entirely cleared, his conduct in going away more mysterious than ever, why did he choose to leave home without any warning on the very day that she arrived at Ripple? It was not even as if he had not known of her coming. To Pam, in her fit of depression, it looked as if he had gone away because of her. A bitter humiliation, this. How she winced in her secret heart to think that perhaps it was her self-will in coming that had driven the old man from his home. It might be that his mind had become a little unhinged from his long years of living alone since her mother left him. Perhaps he had vowed that he would never live in a house again that had a woman in it, but how strange that he should drop everything and go like that. George Lester was talking to Jack as they went along the trail of the solitudes of the far west, but Pam was silent, thinking and thinking of her grandfather, and making herself so acutely miserable over the mystery of his disappearance that she was previously near the verge of tears. Then Jack began to speculate on what Sophie would think "'of her betrothed husband trickled out "'in the go-to-meeting garments of the late Sam Buckle. "'It looks as if there ought to be some trunks "'let down in one direction "'and some tucking put in the other direction,' said Jack, "'filing back a few steps to get a better view "'of what the newcomer looked like from the rear. Get in front of me and see how I look from there,' said George. "'You don't surely think I have come over 2,000 miles "'For my wife to give me any chance "'of seeing a back view of you "'on the very first day of my arrival, do you? "'It is the front that matters. "'A smudge down my nose or anything of that sort "'might be serious, "'but I can sort of snap my fingers at my clothes, "'especially as they are big enough. "'If I couldn't move without fear of a burst somewhere, "'it would be a different matter, "'but you can't deny that they are roomy.' "'Jack hopped around to the front,' of the stranger and walking backwards began lively criticism from that point of view. Too much ankle and though you have a fairly big foot of your own, the late Sambuckle had a bigger. Then you stick your arms too far through your sleeves. You can't shrug them up. A bit, that is better. Quite an inch of raw wrist has disappeared. I suppose you will do and your face is the same whether your clothes you wear but I can't help "'being reminded of a man who brought an undertaking business, "'and the late prospector's clothes "'were thrown into the make of the bargain "'a little better for him. "'Oh, Jack, you are horrid,' cried Pam, "'who had to laugh in spite of her low wits. "'Mr. Lester, you do not look like a second-hand undertaker, "'and Sophie will be so glad to see you "'that she will not have a thought to spare for your clothes. "'I hope she will be glad to see me,' said George simply, But there is something in his tone that made Pam say hurriedly when they came inside of the house at Ribble. There is the house, Mr. Lester. Do go right in and introduce yourself. Jack and I have some work to do in the barn, and we shall be in presently. But, began Jack, for all his sharpness lacked the insight of Pam. Her situation perhaps came from a sympathetic feeling of what she herself would like under the same circumstances. But me no buts, only come as I tell you, she said with a laugh, catching his arm and giving a playful squeeze. Look, Jack, look, there is a cow, so she came back alone after all. We must milk her straight away. Oh, the silly creature, what a chase she has led us. I guess it was the old dog that brought her home. And see, there lies the creature in the gap in the fence which the cow broke out of the pasture. Jack and Pam turned absurdly across the grass to where the cow was feeding as quietly as if she had never broken bounds, but George Lester went with a quick step forward to the house, his weird garments somber black, flapped and flopped with every step he took, and, as Jack had said, his arms and legs stuck ever so much too far through them, but nothing could distract from the real dignity of the man or hamper the splendid alertness of his movements. As he drew near to the house, the door flew open, and Sophie appeared on the threshold. George, is it really you? I thought you were not coming until next week. Have I come too soon? he asked, and he covered the remaining distance in a few long strides. You could not do that, she said, holding out her hands to him and gathered them into a tight clasp. He drew her over the threshold and shut the door. Chapter 20 Wedding Plans no trouble was spared to clear the name of Raque Prevel from the shadow that had been rested upon it. The confession left by Mose Paget was read out in the meeting-house on the following Sunday. This was the only place in time at that busy season of the year where men and women could be got together for the purpose. Pam was not present; she went across to the Gittin's place and stayed with Reggie, who was too much of an invalid as yet to stand the shaking and bumping of the wagon on the rough trail galena insisted that she was going and she left the house tricked out in the smartest clothes she possessed and clambered up into the wagon to sit by the side of her brother and looked as hard and as defiant as you please just as the wagon started pam yielding to an impulse ran out and holding up her hands to nathan to wait a moment clambered up the high step then flinging her arms around galena she gave her a bear-like hug and a warm kiss. "'What is that for?' demanded Miss Grittons in a cautious tone, and she tossed her head, making the roses on her very much beflowered hat nod vigorously. "'Because I love you,' said Pam, looking into the hard face with the quiet daring of a real affection, she added with a trife of hesitation. "'I shall be thinking of you every minute of the time you're at the meeting, which means you think—' I ought not to go, but I should like to know why. Again, Galena tossed her head with the rose knotted in reply. It is splendid and brave of you to be able to bear it, but I am afraid you will find it very hard. That is why I came. Pam reached up and dropped another kiss on the cheek of Galena, then slid down from the wagon with a nod to Nathan in a token that he could go on. Her eyes filled with tears as she watched the two elderly young people bumping placidly across the rough pasture in the little wagon. She wondered if she could ever go to a meeting to hear a confession of Don's red to clear the name of someone of wrongful, imputed crime. Of course, she and Don were not betrothed. Pam had not really owed to herself in plain speech that she loved him. But standing there that morning, watched the backs of Galena and Nathan, she told herself that she could not have borne it. Then she went back to the house to talk as cheerfully as possible to Reggie and to make the leaded foot hours pass for him as pleasantly as might be. Reggie was very white-faced this morning. He was grieving over his brother's death in a fashion that seemed strange when one remembered the callous neglect of Mose. You see, I had him to look after. Mom left him to me, and I can't help feeling that I have left something out that I ought to have done. The boy's tone was so wistful as he spoke, that Pam found her heart aching for him so badly as to make her forget how sorry she had been for Galena. Really, when one comes to think of it, there are so many people to be sorry for that one's own private and particular pain has mostly to be thrust into the background. I think you did everything a boy could do, but it is hard to influence a man, you know. Pam spoke soothingly, thinking that if Mose could ignore the affection of his small stepbrother and leave the child as he had done, there could not be so much good stuff in him. Reggie spoke as if he had read her thoughts. Mose would have been different if he had seen anything ahead of him that he could reach. Things were terrible against him. When Galena threw him over because he was lazy, she ought to have said that if he had worked hard and showed willing, she'd hitch up with him again. But what she did say was that she had not no use for lazy people, and that was all. Then there was that bit of creek frontage. If only Sambuckle would have put a price on that. Then Mose would have stirred round and found the money, and he would have been so busy getting what he wanted that he wouldn't have had time to be lazy. His trouble was that he could not have what he wanted, and that he lost heart. Pam put her head down, close beside the thin white face on the pillow. Perhaps Galena lost heart too, she said, and that was why she was not wise as you wanted her to be. You will have to leave it now, Reggie, because it is all over, but you must not think hard things on Galena, for I am sure she is suffering horribly. I should say she is, by the way she tries to hustle Nathan around, but she takes a deal of pushing to get him to move, so it does not matter She is downright good to me, and I like living here. I hope they will let me stay always. They won't lose by it in the long run. I am sure they will not, said Pam. Then she fetched out The Pilgrim's Progress, which was one of the few books to be found in the Gritton's house, and read to him the stirring account of Christian's fight with Apollyon in The Valley of Humiliation. It was when she looked up to answer some eager question of his "'that she caught a glimpse of a figure in a very much-beflowered hat "'coming rapidly across the field, "'and she realized that Galena had found the ordeal too much for her after all. "'There is the book. You can read about it yourself if you like,' "'she said, thrusting the musty smelling volume into Reggie's hand. "'Then she rose from her chair and hurried to meet Galena. "'I could not face it. I made Nathan stop the horse and let me get out,' "'said Mrs. Gittens, who was very pale under the smart hat.' He wanted to turn around and drive me back here, but I just would not have it. Folks would have been able to talk fine if we had been both away from the meeting, but if Nathan was there in his place, it would only look as if I had stayed at home with Reggie. I can't help feeling that it was partly my doing that Mose went so wrong, and I am a miserable woman today. Pam slid her arm to Galena's and turned with her to the strip of forest that still remained on one side of the home pasture. There were big trees there, spruce, birch, and maple, and to walk in their shade on this glowing summer morning was like being in some vast cathedral. There was the hush and the calm of the cloistered building and the sense of nearness to infinite. Oh, the forest was wonderful on a day like this, especially when one could turn away from the sorry little brown house and its clustering barns and piggeries, that stood at the edge of the forest faint. Galena was sobbing and mourning in her pain, all the way back from the place where she had stopped the wagon. She had walked with her head in the air, and her mouth set in hard lines of endurance. But when Pam had met her with the silent sympathy, and had drawn her into the shade of the trees, her stoic broke down, and she could only sob in her misery. If I could have the past over again, wailed the stricken woman. You have the present and the future, Pam reminded her, with the rare wisdom which came to her in moments of need like this. What do you mean, demanded Galena sharply. Moose is dead, and you can't bring the dead to life. So the past is past done with. Altogether, I take it. For him, not for you, ventured Pam softly. How fearful she was of saying the wrong words or uttering a word too many. You have the boy left, and the mistakes you feel you made with Moose can be rectified with his brother. Reggie is not Mose," snapped Galena, and Pam fairly winced at the reservation of heart hunger and exceeding wretchedness that the words revealed. No, I fancy he is much better stuff than Mose, so much more worth the helping, replied Pam. After much hesitation, she ventured to say, gently, don't scorn him too much when he goes wrong. You could not expect a boy brought up as he has been to keep always above reproach but it will help him to recover when he stumbles, if he knows you love him all the same. I wish I was dead, moaned Galena, and she looked a real tragic figure, her eyes swollen and red with weeping, her smart hat tipped rakishly askew, and her equally smart blouse pulled open at the throat, where she had clutched it in order to give herself more air. No, you don't, said Pam cheerfully. Down at the bottom, you are just as glad to be alive as I am, You are very miserable just now, but when you have had a rest, you will feel better. Shall I run the house and fetch a rug for you to lie out here, or would you rather go to your own bedroom? Oh, I will go indoors, thank you, and lie on my own bed like a Christian. Galena turned back toward the house with something of her old arrogance as she spoke. I don't hold it with sleeping rough when one can get shelter. Besides, the wind in the trees makes a noise when you have "'Nothing to do but listen to it.' "'And creeping things in the grass "'all seemed to talk at once. "'Oh, I have no fancy for lying on the ground "'when I have a decent bed to go to.' "'Pam laughed, but she made no further protest. "'It was good to hear the old dictatorial tone "'creeping into Galena's speech. "'It was a sure and certain sign "'of returning spirit and courage. "'They went to the house together. "'Then Pam went back to muse Reggie for a while, "'and Galena went to her own chamber.' Nathan drove Pam back to Ripple when he got home from the meeting, and he imparted a piece of news on the way that made her cry out in dismay. Two of the young Grinsons had sickened with something that looked like scarlet fever, and the doctor would not allow Sophie to enter the house when she went home that morning. How dreadful for poor Mrs. Grinson, cried Pam, and indeed the doctor's wife seemed to have anything but a rosy time with those children. Whatever will they do about the wedding?" "'Mrs. Grinston will have to be married from some other place,' replied Nathan. "'It is quite certain that the doctor won't let the wedding be held at an infected house. He is always preaching to others to take care when there is an infection about, and he is bound to do as he tells other folks to do. It is a chance for you, but if you do not want to bother, there is plenty of other people ready and willing for the job.' "'What do you mean?' demanded Pam, turning a startled look on her companion." nathan cleared his throat making so much noise over the business that the horse mistook it for a command to make haste and tore onward at top speed so that its driver to quiet it down before he could say what was on his mind then he wanted to cough again but did not dare because of upsetting the nerves of his horse it is like this he began at last and his speech was slower and more lumbering than usual Mrs. Grinchon has been in your house all winter, and you would have been hard put to do it without her. Indeed, I should, said Pam in fervent outburst. Well, then, it is for you to insist that you shall have the wedding at your place. But we haven't things for a wedding, cried Pam, aghast at the bare suggestion. There are two cups with handles and one without. We have four whole saucers and a half. There are six plates in the house and about three dishes and all other things to correspond." Sophie wants to have a big wedding, that is, she asks a lot of people, and, and it is horrid to have to say it, but it is the truth, we have no money for a show of that sort, besides, it is grandfather's house, and oh, suppose for yourself, what would happen if he came home in the middle? Nathan laughed, and his great cathars rang out with astonishing noise on the noontide stillness of the forest, and distressed as Pam was at the thing, which had been suggested to her, she could not help laughing also. I will admit the poor old fellow might have reason for a complaint if he come back to find the place stuffed as full of women and girls as it would be if a wedding is held there, said Nathan. You want him back, though, and everyone wants the mystery cleared up about his going, and as the wedding will certainly bring him back if anything will, I should just advise you to get on with it as fast as you can, and to keep smiling. As for the cups, that sort of thing, there ain't no use to fuss. You just say what you want, and the folks will bring it. That saves a lot of trouble. We don't give wedding presents in these parts because we can't afford it, and we haven't the sort of stories that sell the kind of trash that is used for that purpose. But when anyone is asked to a wedding, they can understand that they will have to provide some of the food, or lend cockery or tablecloths, Or truck of that sort only they mostly wait until they are told what is wanted because it saves confusion what a perfectly lovely idea cried pam with her eyes shining as they always did at any mention of frolic thank you so much for telling me where my duties lie but you will have to stand by me if grandfather should suddenly appear on the scene for i can imagine that the poor old man would be simply horrified at the bare idea of a wedding at ripple Perhaps if there had been any wedding at Ripple in bygone years instead of a runaway match your mother had to make, things would have been happier all round. But don't you worry, Miss Walsh, we will all stand by you through thick and thin, though I am thinking you don't need much outside championing when the doctor's son is knocking around, for he is one for making things hum. Nathan had had his joke, and he had appreciated it so immensely that at the sight of the crimson He had called into the cheeks of Pam, he burst into another guffaw that ended with a choking fit, and Ripple was reached before he had properly recovered. Will you come in and have some dinner, asked Pam out of politeness, though she did not really want him, but he had driven her home, and it was getting late, so she had must ask him, no thank you, and you don't want no company either, just you get indoors and fix up about the wedding before anyone else chips in. And when you ask me and Galena, you ask her to bring food, and you ask me for the loan of our ma's best china and tablecloths, and Aunt Selina gave us. Oh, suppose the china got broken, cried Pam, and Nathan swung her head to the ground. A good thing if it did. Then we would buy a common sort that was not too good to use. I don't hold with things that you can't use, so you can smash the lot, so far as I am concerned. Nathan waved his hand in an airy, flourish as he clambered back into the wagon and then drove off along the trail he had come by while Pam went into the house with mingled feelings, for she'd rather doubted her ability to organize a proper wedding for Sophie, and yet she owed her friend so much that she would gladly do anything toward paying part back of it. Jack was in the kitchen getting dinner ready and told Pam that Sophie had gone upstairs to lie down, saying she did not want anything, Did Nathan tell you that two of the kids have Scarletta and so Sophie can't be married at home? He said she is frightfully down about it. George being away for the weekend makes it all the worse for her because she hasn't him here to say comforting things to her. I'm going to say comforting things to her, announced Pam with her head in the air, although her heart was beating fast with excitement. We are going to have the wedding here, Jack." And we must make the biggest splash possible. And we must make the biggest splash possible just to show Sophie how really we appreciate what she has done for me. Oh, I know we can't afford it, but Nathan has told me how it can be done with but little expense. And for Sophie's dear sake, I'm going to put my pride in my pocket and ask my neighbors to lend me all the things we have not. If you come to think of it, that is a tremendously long list. For we really have nothing except house room, and it seems a mad gesture, but we have got to do it somehow. Go on getting dinner ready, and be sure to lay a place for Sophie, for I am certain I can coax her into coming down. You can mostly get people to do as you wish, said Jack, and he began to stir round at a lively rate, while Pam went up the stairs two steps at a time and burst into the bedroom where Sophie was lying face down on the bed with despair in every line in her body. Sophie, Sophie, we are going to have the wedding here, and the best sitting room shall justify the existence for once, cried Pam, hurling herself into the room with so much force that she caught her foot on the board that stood a little above the rest of the flooring. She stumbled and lurched forward, falling onto the bed and getting sadly mixed up with Sophie, who had sprung up at the sound of her voice and who started at once to protest. Pam, dear, it is most fearfully good of you, but I could not think of letting you do it. Father thinks I had better have a meeting house wedding, and he will drive us straight from the church to Hunt's Crossing to catch the downriver boat. Of course, it is rather horrid, and I would much rather have a house wedding, but no one can have all they want in this world. Yes, they can, stoutly affirmed Pam. People can always get what they want. If only they are willing to be careful only to want what they can get. We are going to have a gorgeous time, dearie, And I am really grateful to those children for taking fever just now and giving me a chance to pay back something of my debt. Pam, you must not take that money you had for the spruce. I could not bear it, cried Sophie. Don't worry. That money shall not be touched, my dear. I am going to do the wedding at the expense of my neighbors. Nathan Grittis has put me on to the idea, and I am going to run it all for I am worth. He told me to ask for his mother's best china, loan of it you know and her tablecloths. he says that we can smash up the china if we like isn't he a dear of course we could do the wedding that way people often do but pam it will be most fearful hurting to your pride just fancy how you will feel when you are pouring out the coffee if that awful mrs brown should say be careful how you spilled that coffee miss walsh i paid top price for it and i can't abide seeing things wasted Oh, you would just squirm. I am going to enjoy every bit of it, announced Pam in a valiant tone, and she meant what she said. Put your hair tidy and come down to dinner. I am fearfully hungry. We must make out lists of what we want for the folks to lend us today. By the way, who has a nice new sitting room carpet? That will be the first necessity, for you can't stand up to be married on bare boards. It would have been bare boards at the meeting house. "'Oh, Pam, it is lovely of you not to mind asking for things. "'I had set my mind on a home wedding, "'and this house is just made for weddings and things of that sort. "'There is so much room, and the sitting room is so big.' Sophie was standing at the glass now, and winding up the heavy masses of her hair with quick fingers, all the despair was gone from her figure, and she looked almost radiant, in spite of red eyes and swollen nose. "'Make haste down. We have got to hustle.' "'Oh, I wish I could think of someone who had brought a new carpet this spring, "'for I do want you to have something gorgeous to stand upon. "'I know what I will do. "'I will get Glenn to drive me to the house over the ridge, "'and we will make a sympathetic house-to-house collection "'the same as they do in England when they want to have rummage sales. "'Oh, it will be great fun. "'Pam, you are shameless. "'It will be absolute begging,' laughed Sophie. And then she came hurriedly downstairs in the wake of Pam, and Jack gave a long whistle of pure amazement. His vast vision of her had been dismal enough. She had walked with him across the forest from the meeting house, punctuated the distance with her sobs, and he had wanted to run away as badly as he ever wanted to do anything, for this was a form of grief that he could not understand. To his way of thinking, a fussing wedding was more bother than comfort. And provided she got married, nothing else really mattered. Pam understood things better and was able to view the situation from Sophie's standpoint. Although the long dark winter Sophie had sewed and planned, her plans had all centered around her wedding day. Her new home would be a back district of the far west, so distant that her imagination would not stretch so far. But her wedding she could see and fancy, and she had planned and planned for it until she was perfect as to detail. Then came the crowning disaster of being shut out of her home by an infectious illness of her younger children, and her house of cards had tumbled all about her ears. A disaster of this sort would not have meant so much to Pam, for she was cast in different mold, and the details of her wedding would not have mattered at all. But she sympathized so cleanly with Sophie that she was ready to go to almost any lengths on behalf of her friend. Dinner was a merry meal, with a pencil and paper and constant requisition for jotting down the things that would be required to give Sophie a really good send-off. The ceremony was fixed for next Thursday, and it was the busiest of time of year, and that what had to be done must be done at once. It is lucky that I did not have to walk home this morning, because I am not tired, said Pam. If you and Jack get the dinner dishes out of the way, I will... "'We'll toddle back to the kittens place and get Glenn to take me out driving. "'She is a bit low down herself today, and so I think a little outing will do her good. "'The turkeys will want looking after Jack, for I may not be home until late. "'Do you think that we have put down everything that we shall need? "'Sophie, I am not used to this sort of thing, and so it is easy to make a muddle. "'If you get all that you have set your mind on, we shall have a record show,' replied Sophie." Briskly, and she hurried to help Pam to get ready, for the afternoon was weary and the distance to be traveled was so great that Pam would hardly get through her own list of friendly calls before bedtime. Just as Pam was going out of the house, who should come up driving but Galena? Nathan had pitched her such a tale when he got home after driving Pam to Ripple that Galena cast her own sorrow and her private regrets to the winds. And leaving Nathan to wash the dishes and look after Reggie, she had hitched up the horse to her own wagon and had come to offer everything she could to furnish the wedding feast. Of course, her prompt appearance on this scene made all the difference to Pam's venture, and the two started out to make the rounds of their friends and neighbors. They went with the comfort, certainly, of getting what they wanted, and they soon found that chief difficulty lay in drawing a line as to the amount to be lent or given. Pam even secured the loan of a new carpet on which she had set her heart, a gorgeous affair with roses as big as cabbages and the sort of coloring that hits you in the eye. But it was new and gay, and nothing else really mattered. It was late when the day was ended, and Pam was tired, but her efforts were going to be crowned with success.